0: Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Tea with the Queen. I am very excited today because I am joined with my friend Daniel, who is a mortgage advisor from his company that's called Merit Mortgages i am going to quiz daniel today on everything mortgage related so i have a full list of questions today questions that you guys have asked me and i've put them all together and i'm sure that daniel will be able to answer them for us so daniel welcome thank you for joining me tell me a little bit first of all about yourself so how long have you been doing this where are you based etc
1: great absolutely Uh, so i started merit mortgages just last year because I was so busy uh, helping lots of customers haven't been a broker for the last six years but I got into mortgages back in 2007 uh, I actually became qualified then when I worked at Barclays I was at Barclays four years HSBC four and a half years Skipped and Society Society, managing a branch there for a couple of years did some new build stuff for a couple of years and then was a broker for seven years so wow. hopefully you know what I'm doing by now you know, <laughs> you know what you're doing
0: and uh, when I checked out your website I was actually very impressed by the number of reviews that you have when you go Go onto Daniel's website, guys. It's like a rolling clock. Tell me how many hundreds reviews that you've got on there.
1: I think there's between, and it pulls them from Trustpilot and yeah. Google and um, somewhere else as well, Facebook as well. I think it's about 200 5 yeah. star reviews on
0: there's, there. So. There's there's a lot of five star reviews, guys. Yeah. So check out Merit Mortgages because if you're thinking about getting a mortgage, Daniel's the person that you need to be talking to. Um, right, let's kick off then. I'm going to jump straight in. For those um, questions that I get asked all the time where people aren't sure, what types of mortgage can people get? And I'm talking more about interest and repayment and what's the difference between the two, Daniel?
1: Sure. So there's there's two types of mortgages: capital yep. repayment and interest only. Yeah. Interest only, uh, kind of what it says on the, on the tin. You only pay the interest, and the capital amount you owe is the same throughout. Uh, whereas capital repayment is you're paying the capital and the interest as well. So the interest amount you're paying each month, as well as a small amount of the capital, yep. uh, and over time that will be repaid by the end of it. So if you had a 30 year mortgage, you'd expect that balance to be zero at the end with a capital repayment and interest only the amount outstanding would be the same throughout. So it'd be the same at the beginning as the end.
0: So if you have an interest only mortgage and you're paying that interest for 25 years or 30 years, how do you then pay off your mortgage? Well, normally
1: you'd have something set up at the beginning to be able to repay that eventually. So whether that's paying into savings or investments or ISAs potentially. Um, I mean, there was originally different investments that you could take out with interest only. Uh, Interest only tends to be a lot rarer now than it was in the late 90s or the early 2000s. uh, It just doesn't tend to be done now unless you've got something set up to be able to do that.
0: Is Uh, there a reason for that? Is that because lenders aren't giving interest only or because people don't want them?
1: Uh, I think the reason for that becoming less popular over the time is the scheme set up to be able to repay that at the end of the term didn't perform as well as as they would have would hoped say. to when they were set up originally. So where someone took out a uh, a policy to be able to repay that at the end of the term, yeah. that policy didn't perform as well and they weren't left with this lump sum left over um, and then that they're left with a big... Loan still at the end of the mortgage, whereas yeah. ideally you want that loan to be able to be zero. To be paid off, yeah. Um, the other side, when interest only is more popular, is buy to let mortgages. Oh, um, okay. Because then you're generally putting down a bigger deposit yeah. and that you can sell that property at the end to be able to repay the mortgage, whereas residential properties tend to have capital repayment.
0: That's good. Right. There's a lot of my clients where they're going through a divorce and they have never had a mortgage and they might be in their 30s or 40s, the family home has perhaps been in the sole name of the spouse. Can they at that age get a mortgage, even though they've never had a mortgage in their name before?
1: Absolutely. So there are many high street lenders that go, pretty much all high street lenders will go up to the age of 70. Uh, there's certainly options that go to 75 and even 80 years old um, providing the job or the income would be ongoing Uh, and you're talking the high street names like HSBC uh, will go up to the age of 80 unemployed income so yeah uh, you can certainly be uh, slightly older and have a a still a very long-term mortgage to be able to have that over
0: yeah oh that's really good and what about if you've never had a mortgage before um, and you don't know how much you can afford, where where would you start? Sure. Uh, so one of the places not to start,
1: really, is to go, go to your own bank. Uh, because okay. your own, all the different banks and all the different lenders have their own calculations on how much they can lend you based yeah. on your own circumstances. And all of them have slightly different... Um, niches uh, and ways of calculating that, uh, which can be very different from one lender to the next. Um, So some may take into account overtime differently. Some may take into account benefits or maintenance slightly differently, um, all of which can add up to what they can lend you slightly differently one to the next.
0: Yeah, and of course, by coming to somebody like yourself, you're aware of all the products out there. When I say products, I mean obviously mortgages. So you're going to be able to tailor-make I suppose, what's best for that person and their scenario.
1: Exactly that. So by going to a broker, they're going to look at your your personal circumstance, all the different places you get income from, your your deposit, any other special circumstances for yourself, be able to look at different... Age range and, and terms of that product, if, yeah. if that's the right thing for you, yeah. uh, and be able to find the right product for you. Uh, it's always our job to get the the client the the amount they need to be able to buy that property or yeah. to remortgage that property for the lowest cost. So we're always going to give all of the options, and we're regulated to do so.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. Now, the other question that I get asked as well, or or the worry that I hear from my clients is that they have a bad credit rating. So whilst they might be coming into a lump sum because we're selling the family home, and they're going to potentially walk away with 150,000, 200,000, they don't have a great credit rating. Can they still get a mortgage potentially? Generally, yes. Um, So it's going to
1: always depend on how bad the credit rating is and when the um the, the credit problems have happened if it's the odd late payment it's normally absolutely fine even yeah. if it's fairly recently yeah if it is uh defaults ccjs bankruptcies ivas uh debt management plans that will also have a, have a much bigger impact because right. are more serious things on there but if it's not so recently there's normally options uh normally if those uh, things were more than 12 months old. There should be options, providing they have a okay. uh, a fairly decent deposit, so maybe 15% yeah. plus, yeah. Uh, but it might be higher rates to reflect the higher risk to the lender.
0: Okay. So is it does it follow then that if you are, let's say, have a bad credit rating now... And you work really hard for 12 months and make sure you make all your payments on time so that your credit report in 12 months time looks good, that you could potentially get a mortgage then. Could, Could you do it that way? Absolutely. So uh,
1: the best thing to do is to speak to a broker early on. Um, And even where we can't help now, we can say, this is what you need to do. This is how long it will lead to a past. And we can look at your options again in 12 months' time, 18 months' time or whatever. If you don't know what you don't know, then you can't work towards that. I can't can't have any idea of how long it might be. But because every person's credit report looks slightly different, and they're not just looking at the score, so they'll be looking at how much the default is. For, for example, one lender can ignore uh, defaults from uh, communication suppliers if they're under £500. Oh, I so see. So if that, they've just had one dispute with one, a mobile phone provider, for example, yeah. that can be ignored from some, from some lenders yes. and others it can't be. So it's really subjective on each individual client. Yeah.
0: I think what I'm getting from you, though, is that if you have a lump sum, Uh, to to put down a deposit from from the divorce. And if you are in paid employment, then there's a good chance you're going to be able to get some sort of mortgage. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on affordability. Yes. And that leads me into my next question. How do you know how much you can afford?
1: Sure. So kind of reverting back to the same uh, answer, really, speaking to a broker uh, and they will be able to go through your individual circumstance uh, and find the uh, the best lender which suits your own circumstances, uh, whether that is the, the lowest rate or the one that will be able to lend you the
0: most, depending
1: on what you're looking to buy.
0: Yeah, okay. So you don't start by seeing the house and thinking, oh I'd really like to buy that house. You find out first of all, what, how much can I borrow? Ideally, what? yes. Okay. Um, okay. The worst,
1: so you can do things in any order, but yeah. the worst order to do things is go and look at houses and look <laughs> through the right move, bit. find the houses you want to live in, yeah. and then try and work out the finance part. Yeah. Work out what you can afford, work out what you think you're going to be left with, uh, equity and deposit-wise, yeah. and then you, you'll know exactly what sort of range you can look at online. Um, I mean, there's other things to take into account as well when you're buying a house. It isn't just the, the mortgage itself, so things like your stamp duty and your solicitor's oh, costs, yes, yeah. uh, and estate agency fees if you're selling one as well. Yeah. There's other figures that need to be kind of calculated into that and if you're not used to doing these these calculations every day it's quite hard to pick through that uh speaking to a decent broker they will go through what your sale costs will be, what your purchase costs
0: will be, and that'll all be taken into account as well. Yes, good point. I'd forgotten about that. Talk to me a little bit about stamp duty. Just sure. just a very sort of broad overview. Is 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 it still the case where the property's got to be worth a minimum of before stamp duty kicks in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with the caveat, I'm not a tax advisor. And I, sure, and I, yeah. I, yeah. And, and it is slightly different if you were to be keep having another property in the background um, or if you were buying the property off your other half or your soon to be ex um, then that can change the the stamp duty implications as well Okay, Uh, best to speak to your solicitor uh, or a tax advisor but most times the solicitor will be advising you
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, and what I do know, and again, I'm like you, I'm not a tax advisor, is that the stamp duty, for those of you that aren't aware of a stamp duty, it does depend on the value of the property. Yes. So the more that the property is worth, the higher the stamp duty will be. It that's sort right. of goes hand in hand. Some of my clients have, and, and we go through this if they have to sell the property, they have these government-backed schemed mortgages, so a help to buy or a first time buyer scheme, do any of those still exist?
1: So the help to buy do scheme yeah. uh, finished several years ago okay. uh, and we were hoping there was going to be one released in the new Alton budget. Yeah, and Housing wasn't even discussed at all, which oh. was unfortunate. <laughs> um, but there is nothing really like help to buy available from the government now. The nearest thing available is uh, like a shared ownership scheme Okay, uh, where you buy uh, a a percentage of the property and the housing association own a percentage of the property and you pay rent on the part that you don't own.
0: Oh, okay. So because I know that my nephew bought a house a couple of years ago and he, he's doing that, that scheme. Is that only available to first-time buyers or to anybody? On shared ownership. Sorry? On
1: shared ownership? shared ownership. No, that's available to anybody. Oh, to anybody. Okay. Um, I think generally for most people, it's probably not the right answer unless they're oh. going to be in there for a very long time.
0: Tell me why. Tell me why. We'll be
1: sure. Um, so you are restricted on the properties you can buy. There's a very limited stock oh, that you can I see. buy from. Okay. Um, if you ever want to buy more of that, which is called staircasing, where you buy some more of the percentage that you don't own and you rent, yeah. uh, then each time you do that, you have to go through extra valuations. And you're very limited on the mortgage you can get, which can often cost more. And then when you come to sell it, there is more that there is restriction on who you can sell it to. They have to either live and have family close to the area or be working in the area, and it's different restrictions for each housing association. So there's extra complications the whole way along the way. Oh, wow. Um, And I think the right sort of person, I have seen it work really well for, is where someone expects to to live there, live by themselves for the long term or or forever, and they wouldn't ever be able to afford to buy by themselves. But to be able to buy somewhere... Bigger in the interim, you don't get the advantages completely of having your own property. You have to get permission to even put shelves up in, in some places. You can't yeah. redecorate without having permission. Uh, you have, you're wow. restricted on the um, the mortgages you can have. You're restricted on when you sell it. So there's so many extra hurdles Goodness along the way, man. and it ends up costing more um, than having a property outright uh, yeah. and just having a normal mortgage if you can. Yeah, if the ability to have a normal mortgage. There, then it's worth waiting Go and going that. the non-shared ownership route. Yeah,
0: yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah.
1: And I've owned one myself for, for six years. Oh, really? And yeah. it took me two years to sell the place. And, really? and this is my job. And even I struggled uh, and I had to get five valuations done on the property because even though it was a two-bedroom flat and nothing could have changed, they had to keep revaluing it each time before oh my it got re- re-advertised. No. Uh, And that was in a town centre property and nothing had changed at all. It's a two bedroom flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was very difficult. I wouldn't recommend that. Oh,
0: wow. (laughs) So if there's people there listening to this podcast, Daniel, and they think, Mm. you know what? I am actually going to make inquiries about getting a mortgage. What should they start to prepare? What sort of paperwork do they need to start thinking about gathering before they reach out to you?
1: Sure, um, so every client is really different. Uh, okay. They have different uh, jobs and incomes, uh, whether that's benefit income or yeah. maintenance or spousal maintenance potentially, yeah. uh, that can all be used towards getting the mortgage. They're likely to have their own different debt profiles as well, so some might have credit cards or okay. childcare costs. All of these things get taken into account uh, during that conversation. So, the best thing to do is really speak to a broker find out what information they would need and base it on that uh, rather than just having a a generic shopping list uh, which would be the same for each one but normally we'll be looking at different types of income you have into your account different outgoings you have going out of your account and commitments that you have that are going to be ongoing
0: and commitments outside of debt would be children
1: Childcare is is the big one um if you're paying for small people to be looked after, yes. that is very expensive. Um, yes. And how that is worked out either by paid for by yourself or by your ex-partner or both will be taken into account.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. good good point. Um, the other question that I get asked a lot is, through my work when I am helping people get a divorce, we will oftentimes get a court order that orders their ex to pay spas or maintenance or child maintenance or what have you. Do lenders take that into account in terms of income?
1: Yes, that is the short answer. Um, the, the longer answer is. They all take it into account slightly differently. Some will need to it, it to have been paid for so many months in a row before they can account for it. Some it can to be taken into account as soon as that is court ordered. Some uh, don't even need it for it to be court ordered to be able to take it into account. So if it has been paid into the bank account for three yeah. months or six months, some yeah. lenders can take that rather than it be court ordered. So if there is a less formal arrangement a between, then it doesn't need to be actually court ordered at all.
0: Oh, brilliant! And we're still talking about the high street lenders that are given the favorable rates, yes, oh, brilliant, okay. Um, is there a minimum that you have to be in receipt of in order to even get your foot through the door? you know so for example, if all one of my clients had was benefits and maybe was only in receipt of twenty five thirty thousand a year, sure. would they be too low for a mortgage?
1: again it depends on uh the lender and there are some which will lend smaller amounts. Okay. Um normally you'd need to be earning really for your total income around 20 to 25,000 to get a, a a reasonable sum on the mortgage side. Um for that to be to be viable. Yeah. Uh there are some which will consider slightly lower, but around 20 to 25,000 I would think would be uh kind of the minimum total income.
0: Yeah. And just on that then, is there a minimum of deposit that you need to be thinking about? Sure. Um, on a
1: normal residential mortgage, 5%, yeah. 5%. deposit would be the minimum. Okay. Uh, with 5% deposit, you would need a fairly squeaky clean credit report. Okay. Um, and it would need to be a fairly standard property normally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are certainly options out there with for 95% mortgages.
0: And is it fair to say that the more deposit you can put down the more attractive you are as a borrower and therefore get better interest rates. Yeah, sure, so standard? with
1: just a 5% deposit, you're higher risk to a lender, which is why they will charge you more okay. for, for that borrowing that money. Yeah. Uh, if you can put 10% down, 15% down, uh, then the rates will in, will get better for you. Yeah. Um, and then up to about 40% deposit or higher, uh, you're the lowest risk to the lender, cause should they ever need to take that property back off you and resell it. yeah. That's the lowest risk to them because they've already got, uh, you've already got a big chunk of that that you own.
0: Do you see any higher than 40% deposits? Yes, quite
1: regularly. Um, Certainly on a a remortgage. It's not unusual that, uh, especially with a a divorce where couples are breaking up and they own the house outright. And then it is, uh, then they sometimes have to raise money to to buy their own property separately. And that's not unusual to see. Uh, small mortgages or
0: no mortgages at all. If somebody comes to me for a divorce, I'm only able to act for one or other of them. I can only act for the wife. I can't act for the wife and the husband. If I have, if, sorry, there is a couple who are going through divorce, can you act for both of them? So they're both gonna get a lump sum. They both want to go off and use that lump sum to buy a mortgage. Do you have the same conflict of interest that I do?
1: Uh, so no, generally not. And I've good. helped lots of couples that have yeah. split up, and uh, it's up to them how I, if I want to speak to them together or separately. And yes. sometimes it's it's both of those conversations. So yeah, you'll yeah. speak to them together, then you'll speak to them apart, and then sometimes together again. Um, yeah. And that's not unusual at all.
0: Excellent. Oh, that's that's good to know. Um, going back to the credit rating, if somebody comes to you and they have a bad credit rating. Any tips to improve that? What should people be thinking about doing? Sure. Uh,
1: So the quickest way to improve your credit rating, if you can, is to get one of these credit builder credit cards and to use it monthly for either your food or for your fuel maybe, uh, if you use petrol in your car, uh, and then to pay it off every single month. Uh, That's the quickest way to get from where you are to be able to um, show to lenders that you can repay that well. Um, the analogy that I was, was taught is if you, your your mum lent you a fiver and you paid it back when you said you would next week she might lend you a tenner um, and that ah. is they want to see that you can borrow it and then repay it back and be responsible for doing that.
0: So to try and pay your debt back each month each month you get paid? Okay. Each month
1: in full you'll be charged no interest on it and that'll show your credit profile is uh, responsible for borrowing money and then repaying it back.
0: Good tip. So Daniel, how long does it take to get a decision if you've made your application for the mortgage, and obviously you've had the conversation with you, you've helped them put all the paperwork together, how long roughly before they get a decision as to whether they're going to be offered a mortgage?
1: Sure. Um, so if you were to initially come to see me to talk about what figures you could get on a mortgage, then generally for most people people uh, we can normally give them an idea of what they can borrow within 24 hours um, okay. so we will look through uh, different affordability calculations on different lenders websites uh, look at rates and work out how much they'd be able to borrow I have a very good idea of that yeah from there an agreement in principle would normally be another one working day uh, and that's wow. where we uh, we do a credit check on the client yeah. uh, and we get them to a point where the lender says in theory we will lend you this amount of money yes. based on the information you've given us Okay. Um, From there, that's when they would normally go out and find a house um, or apply for a mortgage on the house they were living in, for example. Um, And then that's when we put the full mortgage application in. uh, And that normally takes, normally three to four weeks uh, for a mortgage offer to be issued. And during that time, they will do a evaluation on the property. Uh, They will assess payslips, bank statements, any other proof of maintenance uh, that may be required for the client um, and be assessing all those things in the background as well. So um, initial application, um, it's yeah, two to three weeks, yeah. uh, up to four weeks if it's more complicated.
0: Doesn't take long then, does it really? You could no. really turn this around quite quickly. Yeah,
1: it's normally the solicitors the conveyance inside of a uh, buying a property which takes much longer. Okay. Uh, and the average purchase time at the moment is about four or five months. Oh, um really? so that yeah. Okay. Wow. I've seen it done in seven weeks before and that was traumatic for everyone. Yeah. Um I've seen it take three years before where chains has collapsed and oh, and people goodness. need to provide to find new buyers or new properties, um, and it's just had to restart several times and it has taking a lot longer. Wow. Um, but it is really how long is a piece of string because you're talking about the the chain and yeah. and dealing with other people's solicitors as well and not just your own.
0: Yeah yeah that's true. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about because this is sort of in my everyday role um, is mortgage capacity reports. There are so many of my clients that are in contested proceedings so they're at court and it's compulsory Um, if we're at court for finances that both parties provide a mortgage capacity report how long do they take sure to get
1: so a mortgage capacity report is us saying in our professional opinion Mm -hmm. how much a client is able to borrow in their own capacity yes Um, so we write a 19 page report uh, and that will look at the affordabilities from all the different lenders out there um, and what we think that client would be able to borrow Um, it's certainly not a five minute Thing or just running through a quick calculator, we look into what we need full documents as they would do, would need if they were applying for oh, a full mortgage, because okay. that's what we need to be able to base it on. Yeah, uh, We also can be called to uh, represent that client in court and to be able to stand by the report that we presented.
0: So if somebody was to approach you and say, I need the 19 page report, you may be needed in court, Daniel, what sort of fee are they looking at?
1: Sure, uh, so the, the fee we charge is £499 uh, for the report and yep. up to one court appearance as well. Uh, plus expenses. So if we have to drive hundreds of miles then it will yeah, that would be separate. But otherwise yeah. the four nine nine includes the full put report. Um, and the court parents if required.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's those reports that the judges are looking more and more towards now because a lot of times what people are doing is they're doing these online calculators yeah. where you just go into, I don't know, NatWest or whoever, um, mm-hmm. you put in what your salary is, you put in what the divorce is, a bit like the little calculator at the bottom of right move, yeah. um, But it, that's based on nothing at all.
1: No, I mean, some of those calculators literally just take your income and times it by four and a half, which isn't the right thing for 99% of the population. Yeah. Um, and if you go onto your your own bank's uh, affordability calculator, that again is only using their own calculation, which can be completely yes. different, either higher or lower to the next lender, which might be a different for your own circumstance.
0: Yeah. What is the maximum you can go to? You just mentioned there four and a half times your salary. What is the maximum that you've seen lenders give?
1: Uh, in certain circumstances that are very limited, but in certain certain circumstances, up to six times income. Six
0: times? Um, what would be those circumstances?
1: Uh, so earning um, in excess of 100000 yep. um, high deposit yep. um, and a repayment mortgage um, yes. that would be repaid from normal employed income yes. or a, a self-employed income that had been in place for a long time.
0: Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Six mm. times, goodness me.
1: But if you got no if they had no outgoings and no childcare and no other yeah. um other financial pressures, then it absolutely makes sense to do that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um something else I want to talk to you about and pick your brains about is equity release. Sure. Explain to us what that is, why people would even think about doing it and how it works.
1: Sure. Uh, So with the caveat that I'm not an equity release advisor, (laughs) uh, but I work very closely with some uh, fantastic advisors that do uh, advise in the area. Um, Equity release is you, if you own a property uh, and you've got some equity built up in that, uh, you can uh, apply, it's basically a mortgage uh, for those over 55 years old, um, which is done against the value of the property rather than your own income. So it doesn't take into account your own credit rating, it doesn't take into account what sort of job income you've got or other incomes you might have, it's purely based on the value of the property. That interest is then rolled up uh, and then it would be eventually be repaid uh, if you were to either sell the property in the future
0: or to die. Oh I see. So do you then have to change your will? So you don't own that part of the property anymore then, is that what you're saying?
1: That's right, so generally oh, okay. uh, you can borrow up to, from 25% uh, at the age of 55 Yes. Uh, and then as you get older the amount you can borrow increases um, and uh, the mortgage is rolled up so the interest just builds up and up within the property uh, and with generally you won't make monthly payments on that, it will just be rolled up into the property um, and then it will be repaid say so when the house is eventually sold.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know too much about equity release. I'm not quite at that age yet, Daniel. (laughs) Um, But it's good to know.
1: So it's not the right thing for everyone by any means. But for example, uh, my own um, mum, she had, I think, 90 grand left on her mortgage and she was working uh, 24 hour shifts um, and working very hard uh, in her her mid 60s. Um, She was able to get an equity release pay off her mortgage, um, borrow some extra money to be able to get all the conservatory done
0: Aww. and never
1: have to pay another penny towards it at all. So she was Aww, able to cut the work she like... had to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so for her, both me and my sister, I mean, I'm 40 in a few months. My sister's not far behind. Yeah. We don't need the money from her. We would rather yeah. she had a quality of life now and was able to get the conservatory she wants and be in a house that she's comfortable in yeah. and never have to make those payments. So she's working when she wants to work now. She's semi-retired yeah. and she can do that because of the equity release and still be in her own home uh-huh forever, and not yeah. need to worry about that. So. And and
0: they're never going to call that in? No. They're never going to, you know, force them to sell it and, and you
1: know... No, it's, it's guaranteed for life, uh, yeah. I think, with most of the providers. Uh, there are other benefits, potentially, for things like inheritance tax, because it might yeah. reduce the estate. Oh, of course, the yeah. estate. Um, And other things, such as uh, care home costs. If she ever did need to go into a care home, the estate isn't there to be able to... to need to support that for yeah a very long time. And the care home costs can be... very very expensive expensive, so if she was in a care home for for 20 years um, for example then that would wipe out her estate anyway and for her to be able to enjoy that now um, is is the right thing for her
0: yeah oh perfect so as you say not for everybody but in that situation it was absolutely the right move
1: it's a tool that is worth discussing with with clients and it's an option that wasn't there before I know it's got some really bad press and it isn't right for everyone um, but for the right person it's perfect oh brilliant
0: Um, Another question. Sorry, I feel as if I'm bombarding you. Um, So a lot of times, one of the parties who are privy to the divorce will perhaps want to stay in the former matrimonial home and buy out their spouse. So how do they do that, particularly where there's an existing mortgage already on the property that would be in say joint names? Sure.
1: So if a property was in joint names, both the deeds, uh, so the official paperwork for the property itself and the mortgage, uh, one person can buy it the other person, that's called transfer equity. It's basically transferring it to two names into the one name. Uh, okay. the the one person would need to be able to afford the mortgage uh, yes. in full um, not only the mortgage but if they were looking to pay off the ex-partner they uh, they need to be able to borrow that amount from the property as well yeah. then they'd need to be able to afford the mortgage plus the amount to be paid off to the ex
0: and are they having to go through a whole application for a mortgage is it is yes. it so it's just like as if you apply for a mortgage yes okay the reason I ask is because I've also heard about porting mortgages so what's that? What does that mean? Sure.
1: So if you've got a, a property with a mortgage on at the moment yeah. and you have, uh, say, great interest rates on that yeah. um, and you're partway through a five-year fix, for example, you yeah. can normally, with most lenders, port that mortgage from that property, keep the same terms and move it to another property. Um, so it's considered a new mortgage, but it's the same terms
0: as you had on the, on the
1: previous property.
0: And what if the first mortgage is in joint names but it's being ported just to say the husband. Sure. Can that work?
1: So n- most lenders will let you port it uh, with the permission of the other person that was borrowing, uh, but it will only go be ported into one name. Uh, you couldn't port it into individual names separately.
0: Got you, okay. And then just to give um, my followers uh, an idea, I suppose, of time, are we leaving this, sort of any remortgage or any, you know, making inquiries to port... Are we leaving this to the last minute? Are we waiting until we've got that financial order from the court or are we starting it in good time? Like, how, how, What would your advice be?
1: The sooner you can have that conversation with the broker, then really? the sooner you can know what your options are. Okay. Um, You don't need to act upon them, uh, but unless you know how much you can borrow uh, and what your options are to be able to buy, uh, to either be able to buy the other person out or to buy your own property, then you you kind of don't know what you don't know. So uh, the sooner having that conversation, the quicker you will be able to make an informed decision.
0: And I think what would help people with that informed decision is if they knew what was going to happen. Are you able to help them there with what with regard to interest rates and house prices? Sure. How far ahead can you sort of look into your crystal ball? Sure.
1: <laughs> um, so certainly with remortgages, uh, as an example, um, not necessarily if you were buying a house or, or, or uh, splitting up, but with remortgages, most lenders, uh, you can secure a deal up to six months in advance. Uh, so okay. if your mortgage deal was coming to an end in May or June, for example, you can secure a rate now. Um, and oh, and know no. that that's in place way before your deal comes to an end. Um, really so good. what we do that most brokers don't um, is that we also do a monthly rate review. Yeah. Um, so if rates go down between when you apply and the, when the new deal goes into place, we'll secure you a better rate along the way. Uh, if they go up, you've already secured that one. So oh, wow. if the world falls to pieces, you're fine, you've secured yeah. a deal. If it yeah. gets better where they're expected to in the next six months, then we'll switch you on to a better deal anyway.
0: Oh, are they are they expected to get better in the last six months? Uh, uh, next six months? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, all the experts um, believe that in the next eighteen to twenty four months, rates are going to come down from where they are at the moment. Um, and if there's no black swan events or wars or another COVID, um, then we should see uh, mid to high threes, three percent. Um, okay. So that there are uh, rates about out there now from about four point three nine percent. On a five okay, year that's fixed. not too bad. Um, and they are expected to come down to around about the three and a half percent in yeah. the next eighteen
0: months. Yeah, well, that's not too bad at all. No. What's the highest rate that you're seeing at the moment?
1: Um, highest rate uh, I, I assisted a first time buyer this week., uh, they had a five percent deposit and their rate was seven point five percent.
0: Oh, that's high, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that is high. But I but suppose if it gets you a mortgage then, yeah,
1: so I mean, they, they had, I said they only had a five percent deposit. Yeah. Um, they're first time buyers. They're, they're not married. They're in their early twenties. Yeah. Uh, that that's considered high risk from a lender's point of view. Yeah. Um, one of them had only been their current job for a few months as well. Oh, okay. So, and they hadn't had the credit score because they're so young. Yes. Uh Has built up over time that you would have if you were older. Yeah. Um, so again, that's high risk. We were able to get them the mortgage. They're, they were able to buy the house, but it's going to cost them a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what about house prices? What do you see them doing at the moment? So right now, they're actually starting to
1: increase a little bit as oh, the really? stability with the rates uh, stabilises. Uh, it's, it's been a funny year, and I've been saying that for a few years now. Yeah, uh, I think since COVID, there hasn't been a normal year um, since, since I've been doing this, but there hasn't been the stability um, uh, in, in the rates. Um, normally, uh, we tend to see more people buying houses in in January uh, and in September after the school holidays. And this year, that just hasn't happened. Uh, We had the mini budget happen uh, just over a year ago and that threw things up in the air and into chaos, uh, which meant January was very quiet this year. And then September, it's been the quietest I've seen in 10 years plus.
0: Oh really, Um, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: But it's starting to get busier now than it would be normally. So uh, I think that it is certainly not a usual year, But at the same time, people are starting to move again. That's
0: uh, interesting. Funnily
1: enough, the busiest day on Right Move and, and Zoopla is Boxing Day. Um, is it really? I think when families <laughs> either get together stats, and yeah. they're, they're having they're having Christmas dinner together, <laughs> yeah. and they're deciding let's get a place together. That sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, or the opposite and. They've decided Christmas is out of the way. We don't want to be together yes. and get our own places. And that tends to be uh, the time people are, are looking at their options.
0: Oh, I see. Mm. That that rings very true because January has always been, and I'm sure yeah. will continue to be, the busiest month for divorce lawyers. Yeah. Um, January and sometimes September, I think yeah. after the big summer holidays, um, but, but nowhere near as many as January. I think it's the whole New Year's resolution Plus we've been cooped up for a week with the family. We've yeah. just about had enough. We can't do another year like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's when all the pressures are there with, yeah. with
1: Christmas and New Year and like no one's going to work and the weather's miserable as well. It's so it's, true. Yeah, when you make it's decisions.
0: So, true. so you think if you're potentially looking to sell a property, now's a good time to do it? But buying a property, maybe hold off.
1: I think buying and selling its impossible to really yeah, time the market. It is, isn't it? Because it takes five or six months to be able to buy and sell True. anyway, um, even in the best case scenario, you can't quite get that timing quite right yeah. where things are either going up or down or sideways. And you're never going to know that. Yeah, If you can sell for a price or buy for a price where it's affordable each month, I wouldn't say ignore the rates or ignore the monthly payments. But providing it's affordable and you can live there and it's where you want to be, yeah. then that's more important than trying to work out where the rates are gonna be or anything
0: else. Yeah, that's true. So for those that might be um, deliberating between a two or a five year fixed term, well, fixed term I suppose, Would A, would you recommend a fixed term? Sure. And if the answer to that is yes, would you then preference a two year over a five year at the moment or what would your thoughts be?
1: So um, most clients, about 90, 95% of clients, like fixed mortgages yeah they like to know what they're paying each month they want to be able to budget that and think this is what i'm paying every single month especially after the last year where rates have been up and down uh they don't want to see them shooting through the roof and suddenly paying double up what they were the month before um so people like certainty and to know what that's going to be for a fixed period of time yeah whether that's two or five years it's really down to their own circumstances yeah so i'd say if you're a first time buyer buying with someone new um, or you're not sure where you're gonna be living or you wanna try out a new area, a two year fix and be to touch base after that and then review if you wanna fix in longer, makes sense. On the other hand, if you want stability, set it, forget it, you want to know exactly what you're going to pay in for the foreseeable. Yeah. You've got kids starting in the school 10 minutes away, and that's why you bought that place. It's big enough, you think, for your own family plans, then fixing it for five years gives you that certainty over a much longer term. Yeah. Um, again, it's really subjective, what's right for the right person. Um, but I said, basing it on your own circumstances rather than basing it on what's happening on the rates and the market is normally a better thing to do. Yeah. Um, Tracker is the alternative to fix, and Tracker will track the uh, the base rate, uh, which is set by the Bank of England. Uh, and all the lens have their own individual base rate, um, but it's normally tracking the, the Bank of England base rate in the background. Um, that can go up and down. Uh, so, in theory, uh, based on all the experts' predictions, if you went onto a Tracker rate, you'll probably pay less interest over the next few years. Uh, oh, but you've got the uncertainty that it could go up as well as down. Yeah. Uh, and you never know quite what's going to happen uh, in the world and in the economy that yeah. could affect you.
0: That's so true. And And as you say, for those that are trying to plan a budget, and again, I'm thinking about my clients that are maybe recently divorced, everything's new, they're paying for everything themselves, whereas they may have shared that for the last 20 years. Sometimes fixed is a better option. Just for a short period, um, but for those who maybe are quite comfortable in paying the mortgage, the tracker, which is going to vary each month, might be, might be the way to go.
1: Absolutely. Now, I think certainly if you're going from any kind of relationship just to you on your own yeah. or a different property on your own, that will take a different budget and there'll be yeah. a different amount each, each month to pay out. So knowing that, that your biggest bill each month is exactly the same each month can, can be very beneficial.
0: Yeah yeah. So one of the reasons that I invited Daniel on was because um, a lot of my clients who are in court um, on the contested matters, they do need to get their mortgage capacity report. It's compulsory now by the court. And you mentioned earlier, Daniel, that you do these 19 page reports and your fee of 499 will include a court appearance if necessary. I have never known a judge actually to call upon an expert. Um, Typically what the judges want to know is just how much that person can afford. Um, but if, if, for example, you are asked to go to court um, and you're asked questions, what sort of questions do you think that would, would assist the court? In other words, what should the client be be thinking about when they're instructing you to do these reports?
1: Sure. Um, so a mortgage capacity report will look at all the incomes and outgoings of um, that party. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it will hinge upon uh, what spousal or child maintenance they will get, yeah. so that can vary massively about how much they can borrow and therefore how much what level they can buy up for that, that future property. Um, so if we were called into uh, to court, then they are they will be asking us to be able to support that report yeah. and and show how we come to the conclusion of those figures. Yeah. Um, and for somebody just selling a property and just sharing what maintenance, that can be fairly straightforward. But when you've potentially got a, a, an ex-partner who owns a business, yeah. uh, who takes salary and dividends and has yeah. share options and it can get a lot more complex uh, if they own several properties or they own um, buy-to-lets, for example, yeah. then there's different incomes and uh, that can be taken into account. It uh, yeah. just can get a lot more complicated Yeah, quite that's true. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I have a few clients that have some portfolios and as part of the financial settlement, we are giving maybe two of the rentals to husband three of the rentals to wife we're having to you know make joint mortgages into well i don't but you know you guys do um <laughs> joint mortgages into into sole name mortgages um and i think i think what's nice for people to know is that they don't have to do that themselves they can literally hand it over to you and you will sort all of that out and just send them out the paperwork to sign um and, and it's it's quite um it's quite interesting how even though you wouldn't think family law and mortgage um the world of mortgages um collide, they do collide all the time, particularly in financial applications. Even in unmarried couples they will collide. Um mm. because, you know, you'll still get couples who have a joint mortgage together and then they separate. You know, and they need to sort of go off and get their equity and get get their own mortgage in their own name.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and separations do happen in yeah. relationships, whether people are married or not. And there are certain ways um, to be able to uh, protect your own deposits and things yeah. uh, when you're going into those. So like a deed of trust, if if you were buying with a partner um, right. and you were putting all the deposit in and, and they weren't, yeah. you can call, put what's called a deed of trust in place, which is an agreement that you'll get the deposit. Out that you Back. put in at the end, yeah. uh, which is a very good. Things to have these conversations early on. Uh, tenants in common versus joint tenancy. There are different yes. ways to own a property, and those can make a huge difference if things don't go to plan, Uh, and if they do go to plan and you stay together forever, fantastic, and there's no downside to doing that. But if you don't have those conversations with your mortgage broker or with your solicitors, then you're just not gonna know what the options are.
0: Absolutely. For those of you that are listening and and aren't sure about the differences, um, and I'm sure Daniel will correct me, but if you hold a property as joint tenants, effectively, if one of you die, your 50% will automatically pass to the other person. If you hold the mortgage as tenants in common and one of you die, then that person's share will pass to their beneficiaries. That's, that's about right. That's about right, isn't it? So Yeah.
1: So if you had somebody named in a will um, or the laws of intestacy, if you didn't have a will in place, it yeah. could be a part your your half of the property, if you owned it half and half, yeah. will be passed to your family rather than to your other half. Yeah. So certainly worth doing if you were in a new relationship or if you were buying with friends uh, to have that in place. So uh, it goes to the people that you'd want it to go to
0: yeah absolutely and and with siblings sometimes siblings can buy can buy properties together yes. so the you know, tenants in common I think works works really really well there another question I have for you Daniel is a lot of times there'll be a charge placed on the family home explain to me how that works and why people will go for that option
1: absolutely so um, when a separation occurs often um, it's normally missus will want to stay in the in the house with the children um, and not disrupt that uh, home life for them Uh, so there are options where there could be a charge so uh, mister having moved out will still own a third of that property so when it gets sold he will still be able to get that back at some point in the future when the kids have finished school or when they're a bit more grown up. Yeah. So there are sometimes ways where you, the, the, the the ex can have a charge over that property of a percentage or a fixed amount um, that will be repaid when the house is eventually sold later down the line.
0: Yeah, yeah. And is there a criteria that they have to meet to have that charge?
1: It is very individual for each, okay. uh, each person, so worth having that conversation on a situation
0: yeah. like that. The other um, scenario that can present itself sometimes is where parents want to go onto the mortgage in order to help their children keep the property. How does that work? Sure. Um,
1: so if um, the the person couldn't afford the mortgage by themselves, yeah. uh, then there can be options to add other parties to the mortgage as well, whether that be a parent or a sibling or even a friend in some circumstances, which could both be on the mortgage, but just have the one person on the deed still, uh, which can then be... Uh, boost up their affordability so they can afford that mortgage. Ah,
0: is that almost like there. a guarantor relationship? So you're named on the mortgage, but you're not necessarily named on the deeds? Sure. Um. So there's less guarantor options out there
1: than they, oh, they used to be. Okay. But it's basically using both affordabilities with only one person being on the deeds
0: themselves. So the person who's helping you, the grandparent, for example, or the parent, um, doesn't own the property at all? Uh, they can do or they can't, they cannot
1: do. Um, okay. There are options out there where they can have a, a percentage or a fixed amount of the, the property itself. Yeah. Um, so if it did go up in value, then the amount due back to them eventually when it was sold would yeah. increase as well. Um, Again, it, options worth discussing. Yeah.
0: And the lenders don't mind if you're named on the mortgage but not named at land registry. Some do, some, some don't. don't. Okay. It, it's, it's
1: more of a specialist product, but there are certainly lenders on the high street that will consider it.
0: So many options, you know, so especially in my line of work, you know, divorce and where we're desperately trying to keep the home for people. Whilst I knew this podcast was going to be interesting, you have just helped me and I'm sure you guys as well um, learn so much more about mortgages, Daniel. So thank you so much for that. Um, I think the key there, guys, the key takeaway is that if you've got any doubt at all as to whether you can afford a mortgage or not, give Daniel a call, either email him or give him a call because I'm sure that he will do his utmost to see if he can work something out for you. Um, Clearly, there's not too much that you don't know about (laughs) mortgages, Daniel. You and I will be talking after this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I really hope that you enjoy that. I want to say a massive thank you to Daniel. Daniel's contact details, his email and his phone number and his website, Merit Mortgages, are down below in the bio. If you need any help at all, check him out. I was super excited about doing this um, mortgage podcast because especially in my line of work the world of mortgages and the world of family law they collide all the time so thank you so much Daniel. Guys I hope that you enjoyed that Um, by all means leave me your comments if you want to know anything more if you want to get in touch with Daniel then please do and until next Sunday at 12 o'clock thank you for watching and I hope you enjoyed another Tea with the Queen.